When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Tom Fishburne, founder of Marketunist and author of Your Ad Ignored Here. Tom started cartooning on the backs of business cases as a student at Harvard Business School, and while in various marketing roles at General Mills, Nestle, Method, and Hotel Tonight, Tom parodied the world of marketing in a weekly cartoon. From an email to 35 coworkers in 2002, his cartoons have grown by word of mouth to reach several hundred thousand readers each week, and he's been featured by the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Forbes, and New York Times. Today on the show, we talked to Tom about content marketing, cartoons, and his recent book he just published called Your Ad Ignored Here. It's a must-have holiday gift for any marketer in your household. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. I've been a, a consumer of your cartoons for a long time. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better as well as talk about your new book. But before we get too far into it. Let's talk about you. I love this question. I ask all my guests, which is, is there an experience or, or what experience of your past defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah. So there, I love that question. There was a moment when I was 22 and finishing up university and I very nearly 
took the easy path of moving to a city that all my friends were moving to. And on a bit of a whim, I ended up taking a complete U-turn and instead moving to Prague in the Czech Republic with, without knowing anyone, without having a job or a place to live. I just sort of showed up there with a backpack and it ended up changing my life. I met my future wife, who was an American doing the same thing. I lived there for a year, ended up finding work there and kind of making it all happen. And I think that ended up helping cure some of the risk aversion that I felt. And it made it easier for me later on when I made kind of risky career choices, like deciding to draw cartoons as a career. It made that type of leap a little bit more palatable. So I'm so glad that I I did that when I was 22. It'd be hard for me to imagine doing it now. But at the time, it really made an impact on me. Oh, that's great. Well, what drives you? What keeps you doing what you do every day? I find myself, I really get motivated by having creative outlets. And if I go through periods of time, as I have in my career, where I didn't have a creative outlet, I feel myself atrophying. It's a bit like a form of exercise for me. I started really drawing cartoons when I was in business school, but before that, I didn't have that kind of an outlet. And suddenly when I started drawing cartoons, it became that outlet for me. And so that's something that's a big part of my life. And I have to structure my day that I have dedicated creativity time, and it allows me to be more productive in the rest of my work. So tell us a little bit more about what you do. I mean, I'm imagining probably something that's incorrect, which is on Monday, you start thinking about the cartoon of the week. And by the end of the week, you've produced a funny, hilarious cartoon. But I know there's probably a lot more that you're doing on a weekly basis. Yes, there is. I have been on that one cartoon a week cadence now for 15 years. And it's become sort of like my foundation. I kind of, that's like the basic. And more often than not, I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of closer to the deadline than on a Monday. But I find that that's opened up all these different doors. And so most of my week now is taken up with client projects, basically creating cartoons for clients to help tell whatever stories they want to tell. I'm working on a lot of projects at any one time. Most of them are cartoon related in some way, shape or form. And because my output is a lot higher than when I was just doing one cartoon a week and had a regular day job, I had to get much more structured about my creativity. So I usually block the first two hours of every day as dedicated kind of cartoon ideation time. It's when I'm most creative. And then later in the day is when I, I work on a lot of the prep work that gets me to the point where I'm even ready to come up with cartoon ideas. The afternoons are often when I'm drawing cartoons. Afternoons are when I'm doing consulting work or strategic work. When I'm putting together keynote talks, I do a lot of paid speaking. And so it's funny, I find that my cartooning time is sort of the, the initial foundation of my week. And then I kind of pack in stuff around it. Most of that's cartoon related, but some of it's not. Interesting. So you're doing content marketing. If you don't mind, tell, just elaborate a little bit more about what you're doing for clients on content yeah. marketing. So it really it varies, which is so much of the fun. I work with so many different types of companies, but I guess the main, the, the typical type of campaign is when there's an organization that is trying to market, often B2B marketing, often marketing to a business audience. And we create a whole series of cartoons that finds humor in some of the pain points 
that that audience is experiencing. And those are pain points that whatever business I'm working with helps solve. So it's a way for them to connect with their audience over something that the audience will, will relate to and identify with and say, that is exactly my life. And it nicely puts the brand in a position to be a solution to those types of pain points. So it's marketing that doesn't really feel like marketing, which is one of the things I like about it. And sometimes they're one-off series. We might create 10 cartoons on a particular topic. And in other cases, it's an ongoing campaign. Our longest running series has been going for every week for the last seven years with a company that makes workforce management software called Kronos. So all the cartoons are about the trials and tribulations of people who are involved in doing workforce management, whether they're in HR or other things. And so there's a lot of humor in those worlds. And so the audiences that, that work in that space, they see the cartoons and it reflects what their lives are like. And so they look forward to the next installment. And so that's the typical flavor of the types of projects we work with, but a whole range of companies, Google, LinkedIn, a lot of smaller startups. And it's fun for me as someone who comes from both marketing and cartooning to think about how cartoons can help solve marketing challenges. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I, well, I want to come back to content marketing in a little bit, but let's talk about your book, your new book, your ad ignored here. What was the impetus for the book? Yeah, so kind of, it was really an output of this weekly cartoon series I've been doing. I started drawing a weekly cartoon called Marketoonist. Initially, it was called something else. It was called Brand Camp 15 years ago. And originally, it was intended to be a little bit like a diary of my own life in marketing. And I started to get build an audience, and I realized that my experiences were, were shared experiences. And so I just continued with that weekly cadence of publishing a cartoon as I worked at places like General Mills and Nestle and Method. And I just hit my 15-year milestone of doing it every week. And I thought... As I looked back over the 15 years, it was both a little bit of my own journey as a marketer, but I suddenly realized that these cartoons that have been going out every week really spanned an interesting time period in the history of marketing. So many things have changed in the last 15 years, but then there are a lot of things that are consistent and remain true. And so I started thinking putting together a, a collection of my favorites over the last 15 years would be a fun keepsake for anyone who's worked in marketing over any part of that period in time, because it reflects some pretty fundamental challenges and opportunities that anyone in marketing has had to grapple with. And I like to think of my cartoons as a way to you know, find humor in that and show that we're all kind of going through it together. So my personal diary of sorts became this collective diary. And the book is really intended to just be a keepsake of all of those, those memories. Nice. And 15 years is a very long time. So especially in marketing, like you just described, let's talk a little bit about a few of the themes in this book. And one you mentioned to me in a prior conversation was this idea of no captive audience. Can you, one, tell us what you mean by that and then maybe go in a little bit more detail? Yeah, it's kind of encapsulated a little bit in the book's title, Your Ad Ignored Here. And <laughs> a little bit of a revelation that I had when I first started working in consumer products marketing around the time that I was starting this cartoon. I arrived at General Mills and I started working on a brand called Green Giant 
that is one of those classic advertising icons of the last century. And I was there to learn about marketing. I've often heard about going into brand management is a little bit like getting your PhD in marketing. And so I learned all about marketing and I learned about the originations of the Green Giant brand. I even found this old creative brief that was literally written by a young Leo Burnett. And <laughs> it was very much rooted in the Don Draper, Mad Men era world of advertising. And I realized that one of the fundamental assumptions that went into when that brand was constructed was this idea that you had a captive audience that you could reach. That when the brand was created, you had just a few ways to get your marketing message out into the world. You know, in the US, there are only three television stations. And so you had a captive audience. If you could put your marketing message in a place because you had marketing budgets, you could meet this audience and they would pay attention to what you had to had to say. And I found that as I was learning about marketing, that fundamental assumption hadn't really changed. And yet the world was starting to change that there were now more ways than ever for people to find out about your brand or your marketing. And just as there's never been in some ways a better time in history for marketers to have tools and platforms and technologies to get in front of audiences like never before, because they're now more than, than three television stations. It's also never been easier for the audiences to tune out whatever it is we want to say to them. And so that's a really interesting shift. And I think marketers have to have a change in mindset on how we connect with their audiences, that we can't expect that there's a captive audience receptive to our message. We have to really be thoughtful and considerate about what message we're putting out there and to what audience and in what way. And that I think is creating a little bit of friction sometimes for brands that it, that still have a bit of a Don Draper mindset that you control your brand message and marketing can operate by this command and control uh, structure. And so that I think is one part of this, I guess, the, the evolution of marketing that as marketers continue to evolve and adapt, we have to reconcile with the fact that there's no such thing as a captive audience anymore. And the marketing that we have to put out into the world has to fundamentally be worth receiving. And that's a shift that I find really funny. And like with a lot of my cartoons, it's often a case where I'm as a marketer, just grappling with the changes myself and trying to think about the right way to approach it and right ways to market in this kind of a world. Yeah, no, it's the landscape has fragmented so much. It's it's almost hard to find the audience some days, but but I like, like how you talk about it. Another one, another theme, if you will, that we talked about was this shiny new thing syndrome or the squirrel phenomenon with marketers. <laughs> Um, describe a few of your favorites because there's no end to this. And I'm a marketer. I'm guilty as charged of being attracted by the new shiny thing, but I'd love to hear some of your favorites. Totally. And I am too. I get attracted by it too. But what I think what the funny part I find is that oftentimes when something comes on the radar, the knee jerk approach is to, is to suddenly think, okay, we need a, a Snapchat strategy as opposed <laughs> to thinking, all right, there's this new platform called Snapchat. Like how do we, what is our strategy in general and how could potentially Snapchat be a tactic or a platform or a way to further that strategy? Right. And I think that's often what it is that something comes along. Blockchain is one of the things people are talking about now. And a lot of times the, the other aspect of it is oftentimes the marketers don't fully really understand even what it is or how to apply it. But there's this herd mentality and a bit of a bandwagon effect that we have to do this now. And I think sometimes thinking that, 
all you need to do is bolt on this thing and that's going to solve your marketing challenges. So, I mean, it's constant. I mean, you know, Pokemon Go, when that came out, suddenly (laughs) (laughs) marketers are thinking, how do we pull that into what we're doing? And in many cases, it it wouldn't make sense. And so I think there's always room for marketers to experiment and to try things. But I think it's important to put it into context and not let the cart lead the horse, particularly for brands that have a sense of itself and a sense of where it is. It's a challenge. You know, you want to adapt and you want to take advantage of new technologies, but then you also have this history and this pedigree and... You neither want to go stay really slow and not change at all, nor do you want to jump on the shiny new thing all the time. And so a lot of times I use my cartoons to try to hopefully encourage the emperor has no clothes kind of moments. Right. People to realize maybe this doesn't exactly fit in what I'm trying to do, or maybe it will, or maybe we can experiment in some way. But just the knee-jerk approach of let's suddenly, you know, we need to have gluten-free toilet paper. That can sometimes lead, lead to <laughs> to humorous outcomes that I, I like to make fun of. Yeah, that's hilarious. Gluten-free toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> what? There's so many shiny new things and especially you know, applied to digital in quotes, air quotes. What have you seen about digital? I mean, the the latest craze that I can't avoid is AI, anything AI. I mean, I think every person I talk to is talking about it. I don't know how many actually know what it means or what it's used for, but I would love to just hear your thoughts on digital marketing in general. Yeah, it's such a fascinating topic. I think the, the quote I heard recently that I really like was from somebody at Diageo and said something along the lines of, it's not about doing digital marketing, it's about marketing effectively in a digital world. And I think that's a correct orientation because that's thinking, how do we see what's happening out there? And it's not just about, we need to do this, we need to do digital. AI is a fascinating one. I read a study recently that polled marketers on how they felt about AI. And there's pretty equal, a couple of camps emerged. One camp was extremely enthusiastic about how it was going to make everything better. And an equally sized camp was feeling like, I have no idea what this is. And so I kind of feel like that that's where we are in the world of AI. It's really exciting, the potential, when we think about ways to take advantage and demystify all of the, this clutter that we have, particularly with data. You know, the last, you know, I remember I was making fun of big data four or five years ago, and now we have all this data and it's like, what, what insights do you parse out of that? And AI is one way to, I think, find insights and, and find patterns across all of that. So I, I think about that one application and use case and I get really excited about it. But obviously AI is a mammoth thing. It can mean so many different things depending on how you're looking at it in every aspect of a business. And so sometimes I think AI is used as a blanket term and it's more useful, I think, to think of specific applications. And there's a lot of trial and error right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of brands have experimented with chatbots, for instance, and there's been some fits and starts. Facebook shelved part of its chatbot program when it acknowledged that a very high percentage of those chatbot interactions were resulting in people saying, I need to talk to a person. So there's a lot of experimentation happening right now, which I think is really exciting. But I think brands need to take it into context and not be afraid to test and learn. But I think also not there's I think if you look at the famous Gartner hype cycle, we're definitely at the stage where it's at the top of the hype curve. And what mm-hmm. comes after the top of the hype curve is the we're kind of at the peak of inflated expectations. And then we go into what's called the trough of disillusionment. And so I think we're going to hit that trough. And I think long term, the prospects of AI and marketing are extremely exciting and extremely empowering. But there's going to be a lot of trial and error and 
just as many of us have had a, a conversation with Siri that has been less than optimal. <laughs> I think that that is a little bit of a characteristic of this next stage we're going to go through as brands continue to experiment with AI. And, and there's there going to be a lot of, I think, humor in some of the applications that don't come through as we hoped, at least right away. Long term, however, I think it's transformative. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I was just talking to the first person I've actually talked to that has implemented some level of AI this morning, and she's she's eventually going to come on the show, so I don't want to spoil it too much, but they were using it for paid social optimization, which I thought was a pretty interesting use case. Yeah, I do think that's interesting. I think what's particular, you know, that AI and machine learning often are used interchangeably, and I'm not no expert on that. But my understanding with just machine learning is that you can find these corollaries that human eyes can't even see and test so many different mm-hmm. iterations. And I think something like page search, that could be a, a great use case. I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think I think anyone who claims to really know how this is going to shake out, is <laughs> there's humor in that, that self-assurance <laughs> as well. That I like to make fun of it. The, the reality is, I think... I think it's important for marketers to collectively acknowledge that we're all figuring out this together and no one really knows where we're headed on many of these new things when they come along. Right. So I think having a, a sense that you're always willing to experiment and stay curious and acknowledge where we are experimenting and, are, and aren't sure where, where things are going, I think that's an important part of being a marketer today. I think the last few years has certainly shown that everything is changing so quickly. If you have, if you think you have it all figured out, you know, wait five minutes. Right. Right. Well, so when I first saw your cartoons, there was this Dilbert type feel to it. And I love Dilbert. And so I naturally liked your cartoons and not to mention they made me laugh out loud. I was looking at the book over the weekend and my 10 year old daughter was commenting like, dad, what are you laughing at as I flip pages? And it was just (laughs) funny after funny. And the hilarious part is she's 10, but she hears me talk about marketing so much that she was getting some of the humor as well. So it was was really a fun moment to share with her. I have a friend who who passed the book on to his daughter and then she was kind of reading in the corner and she had these questions like, dad, what's a CMO? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you definitely have to have some level of knowledge about marketing before it makes sense but then it's hilarious so but (laughs) but i'm curious your comment you've always got this kind of executive type right they can be slow moving sometimes they can be a little too fast to adopt things and this wittiness of the comedy i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. About marketing in general. So if you think about marketers and marketing adapting, are we adapting or are we just continuing to be comical in how we approach the world? 
I, we're definitely adapting. And I find okay. that sometimes people see the cartoons and, and there's definitely going to be a cynical edge to some of it. But I actually am very optimistic about where we are and where we're headed. The humor I find is often in the friction of how we get there. There was a quote from Scott Brinker, I think, that said something along the lines of technology changes exponentially and organizations change logarithmically. And I feel like there's a friction in that kind of statement. There's a friction that most organizations are in where there's all this new opportunity and it's really exciting, but getting organizations to find the right way to adapt, that friction is often what's hardest. And I think that marketers evolve, but I think where I find humor is in my own shared experience of like, how do you, how do you change in the face of everything that's changing around you? And so, and I think a lot of things that we've long held to be fundamentally true are being questioned. And that's another interesting aspect of change, not being afraid to question things that you've believed. You know, I think a lot of marketers have had to reconcile their long-held marketing thinking with Byron Sharp's work, for instance, you know, when he published How Brands Grow and questioned a lot of fundamental things around what it means to be brand loyal. And certainly things I was trained to think about in marketing at places like General Mills and Nestle, they were suddenly called into question. And one of the analogies that he uses, the idea of medicine and how it's evolved from where it was in the medieval era, for instance, when they were still using leeches, you know, to suddenly adding science and suddenly really understanding standing and, it, and things that we once held to be fundamentally true are suddenly called into question. I think we're in that state in terms of marketing, and we have to be open to that. And I think many marketers are. I like to parody sometimes the risk aversion we all feel about challenging how we've always done things, because I think through laughter, we can talk about it and then talk about where we go from here. But ultimately, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I feel like we're in a bit of an awkward adolescent stage in marketing and specifically in using digital tools where all of these tools are becoming available, but it's awkward. And sometimes we're not quite sure how to use these. And I think this period that we're in is really exciting to try to figure it all out. And But ultimately, I think that it can allow us to do things in the future that we're never, we couldn't have dreamed of before. And it's just going to take a little bit of evolution for us to, to get there. And I, but I, I do think a core part of that evolution happening is being willing to laugh at ourselves. Right. Right. Well, I never thought I'd be talking about cartoons and Byron Sharp in the same conversation, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's like the scientific revolution meets Dilbert. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I, it's been fun. I got to know him a little bit through the cartoons, funny enough. <laughs> His organization, organization has licensed a few of them over the years. And I finally got to meet him in person in London a, a month or two ago. We had uh, book signing tables right next to each other, oh, which wow. was kind of fun. Oh, was that at the conference where he debated Mark Ritson by chance? It certainly was. Okay. That was fascinating. To yeah, watch. yeah. I haven't seen the footage from that, but it was one of the things I, w- I was hoping that I would be able to partake in. But I've had him on the show, and he is fantastic and definitely challenging beliefs, long held yes. beliefs that we have with facts and science. So right, and it's amazing to the uh, you know this world of controversy that comes around that sometimes. I've seen the uh, reaction. Reactions are often get very heated and very emotional, and I think it's. I think he's bringing a very important voice to marketing. It's a fascinating aspect of this. I really enjoy 
reading and following people who are kind of challenging long held conventional wisdom in marketing. Yeah, no, it's, I agree. I agree. I hope we hear more of those voices, to be honest. There's a lot of group think. So I look for those voices to yes. make sure I check myself from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about content marketing. And you talked about using cartoons or the cartoon approach to content marketing. What does that look like? I mean, if you were to give us an example of something you've done, you said you'd work with Kronos and some other technology companies in particular. What does it look like and how does that unfold? Yeah, so it, they really vary based on the marketing objectives that these companies are trying to meet. There are two main splits. I do a lot of external content marketing campaigns. And then more lately, I've been doing a, lot, a number of internal content marketing campaigns. So organizations with a lot of employees just trying to talk to their own employees about different topics. And what cartoons I find do well is they, they simplify complex ideas and they come across in a very palatable way that people are receptive to, particularly in worlds where they're surrounded by a lot of clutter. And so oftentimes for an external content marketing campaign, we'll think about an audience that this organization is trying to reach. Oftentimes they have other things that they are creating to reach that audience, sometimes like white papers or, or other types of communication that can often be a little bit weightier and full of a lot of rich material. And cartoons are a real easy synthesis of, of that. So oftentimes they'll use it in conjunction with other deeper forms of content marketing where the cartoons may crystallize a couple of different takeaways. We did something recently with LinkedIn where LinkedIn was trying to get people to take the time to update their LinkedIn profiles because most people, they put their stuff in there and then they just forget about it. Mm -hmm. And LinkedIn had this insight that a lot of people, the way they talk in their LinkedIn profiles is not how they talk in real life. They <laughs> use a lot of jargony buzzwords that no one would ever use in a real conversation. And so we use that as a leaping off point for a series. LinkedIn had commissioned a piece of research where they synthesized the top commonly used buzzwords in every market around the world, all sorts of buzzwordy type of things about being results driven and that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we pulled those most commonly used buzzwords and then pulled those into cartoons and imagine that people actually talk that way in real life. So there's a <laughs> woman asking her husband, do these boots make me look results driven? You know, or a bunch of kids, you know, saying when I grew up, I want to be a you know results oriented marketer or whatever. And we had all these buzzwords and created a bunch of cartoons around that topic and then translated them into a dozen different languages. And it allowed LinkedIn to serialize those one at a time. And then also put them together in a slide share with all the cartoons at once, surrounded by some of the data from the survey. And it became a, a fun way for them to connect with their audience and very motivating. The results that came back were that the cartoons performed at three times the engagement rates of other forms of visual media that they had tried. And so in trying to connect with these audiences to get people to motivate you know, behavior change, it was, it was a fundamental tactic as part of that overall strategy. So that emblematic type of campaign that mm -hmm. we do, typically, it really cartoons have been used at all ranges of the typical marketing funnel from awareness driving tactics all the way through to landing pages. Cartoons are just a great way to, to catch your, someone's attention and to deliver a message. 
And so I, that's a lot of the fun for me being trained in marketing is to think about the ways that cartoons can, can fit along any type of marketing objective to help communicate those types of ideas. And it's similar, I would say, when in some of these internal content marketing programs, we worked recently with an organization called Schneider Electric. Mm-hmm. That's a French company that makes a lot of industrial energy equipment, so switches and power grids and that type of thing. They have 160,000 employees around the world. And so any type of change management or culture management can be a real challenge to get the attention of that many employees. And so we created a whole bunch of cartoons illustrating different aspects of some of the behavior change that they were trying to drive. And so those are very different types of campaigns. But at the end of the day, I find that it plays really well to cartoons because cartoons can ultimately help bring empathy to a topic that can otherwise be very technical, use humor as a bit of a Trojan horse. You get people laughing at at certain behaviors or pain points, and it opens up a window to then deliver a, a deeper message. So I get really excited about the potential of cartoons in the world of marketing. It's nothing new. Cartoons have been part of marketing for decades. But I think particularly now that every brand is developing some sort of publishing arm to communicate in ways that just weren't possible before, I think cartoons play a really interesting role in that broader content marketing ecosystem. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, three times the engagement rate for LinkedIn. I mean, that's unbelievably huge. I mean, I I would put that on the spectrum of bringing jingles back, right? Like, (laughs) you know, like like people forget that audio is a a branding mechanism. And I think probably have forgot that cartoons work because we all like them. So that's, that's great. That's great. Well, what lessons have you learned either in content marketing or just marketing in general? Because you've you've been on the client side as well. Do you think other marketers should benefit from or or should be thinking about? Yeah, I often say that everything I needed to know about marketing, I learned by drawing cartoons because there's so many things I've learned just through, even when I had my day job working in brand management, drawing a weekly cartoon taught me a lot just as an exercise. One of the things that that I've learned that I think is applicable to any marketer is just the importance of thinking in a serial or continuity-based way with your communication. So often marketers get so excited about a campaign or having creating one single thing and then hoping that it goes viral. And I think that there's a different mindset shift when you think about how are you going to connect with an audience in a serial fashion over time. With my weekly marketing cartoon, every Monday morning that cartoon goes out and it's a touch base. And I've realized that my audience kind of looks out for the next installment and it forces me to think over the long view. You know, these cartoons have been over a 15 year view and I look forward for however many years it continues as sort of this ongoing cadence and connection over time. And so I think there's an opportunity for marketers to think more about that long view and less quarter by quarter or campaign by campaign. But instead, what value do you have that you can connect with an audience over the long run? The cartoonist from Doonesbury, Trudeau, had this quote at one point that drawing a cartoon was like a public utility. People complained when it wasn't there. You know, whenever he went on vacation, you know, people complain, you know, when's Doonesbury coming back? Because he, unlike a lot of cartoonists, wouldn't go into reruns. He would just not be there. I think it's an interesting question to ask, like, what marketing would you create if you wanted your audience to complain if it didn't suddenly show up in their inbox? And that's a different inflection. So that's one thing I've learned from cartoons is just being a serial medium. I think that's that's a mindset for a lot of marketers to think about. Yeah, I agree. And just that notion of what would happen if if your marketing went away and would people complain? I think there's right. <laughs> that's a pretty good bar to aspire to. I think we could clear out a lot of clutter. 
I, I think so too. It also, it, it relates a little bit to something that I've been following that Google has been proselytizing the last few years around thinking about micro moments that matter and their big insight that in the world that we're in right now, there's this idea of people having sort of needs in the moment and brands need to figure out how to be present for those needs in the moment. Google had this quote with some research a couple of years ago that people are more loyal to their needs in the moment than they are to any particular brand. And I find that really kind of interesting working in marketing. It really kind of cracks open that whole idea about people being loyal beyond reason to a brand. You know, that's something that Pyron Sharp has, has made fun of in the past, that there really isn't that kind of that deep brand loyalty that, that any brand can sort of attain. And I think that it, it shifts this whole concept over to being present for these needs in the moment and thinking about you know, how you would be truly useful for those needs in the moment. And so I think that I think is a question a lot of brand owners and marketers need to ask, like, what are the needs of the moment that really matter to the audiences you're trying to reach? And then how can your brand be there? Then it is something that people would miss if it wasn't there. So I think that's a real opportunity for the next chapter of marketing to really think about what the needs of the moments are. That's great. So if we step back from this, are there brands or companies that you follow personally, or you think others should be taking notice of? Yeah, I'm a big fan of a San Francisco brand called Beta Brand. I'm always amazed whenever I talk about Beta Brand, how many people have not yet come across it because I just find them fascinating. It's a clothing brand founded by a guy named Chris Lindland. And he had this insight that a lot of the brands he was competing against, J. Crew, Banana Republic, et cetera, they would often evolve around this kind of fashion week model. You sort of you know release the new stuff at certain seasons. And he had this insight, why can't every week be fashion week? And so he challenged himself in the early days to launch one new item of clothing every single week. And he kind of framed their whole brand platform as being 1% fashion, 99% fiction. Everything they launched would have a story behind it that people would want to share and talk about. And so, you know, around Thanksgiving, they launched the gluttony pants, which had an extra button to make room for your meal, which I found really funny. And every week there was some high bar. And so it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier with the continuity model. You would want to tune in to see what the next item of clothing launched would be. And then eventually they expanded beyond that. And now a lot of the ideas are entirely crowdsourced. Anyone can come up with a clothing idea. People vote on them. And then they make the ones that really rise to the top. And because they manufacture locally in San Francisco, they can do all of this without building in any inventory until they know if an idea is successful or not. So they've launched some crazy outlandish stuff, some of which has worked and some of which hasn't. But I feel like this idea of a brand being always in beta, which is kind of encapsulated in their name, beta Mm -hmm. brand, I think is something that a lot of brands can think about. Like, what would you do if you were more in beta? And I think they apply a lot of Silicon Valley type of techniques, but they do it in a company that makes physical goods. You know, they're making clothing. They can put stuff out very quickly. When Mark Zuckerberg was on an IPO roadshow for Facebook and everybody was making fun of the fact, you know, he was wearing a hoodie and was that professional for a CEO to wear a hoodie, beta brand launched the executive hoodie, (laughs) you know, and it was a pinstripe suit with a hoodie. And so I think that, you know, it made me laugh and it got them talked about. Suddenly they, it took this little brand with no resources to this hugely successful place with, you know, amazing growth because they were able to react fast and do a lot of risky stuff, but without having to take the risk of building inventory ahead of time. And it allowed them to grow quite phenomenally for a brand with limited resources. So I I study what they do very closely. I find it really interesting, the types of ways that they approach marketing. I think a lot of brands can learn from them. 
I love that. I love that. And that will link to that brand as well. I haven't heard of them before, to be honest. So I'm in that, that group. So I'm going to check them out. Last question for you. I always ask this question. Sometimes I dread it because everyone likes to pontificate on the future, but I don't know if we'll ever track who gets it right and who doesn't. But what do you think the future of marketing is going to look like? Yeah, it's funny. I did a cartoon recently kind of called the future of advertising, you know, which <laughs> oh, is great. One, one, one part yeah. of marketing. <laughs> and, you know, I tried to find humor in taking what I think we're seeing to a scenario that none of us would completely want. I was inspired a bit by a famous movie, Minority Report with Tom Cruise. There's a scene where he's walking through a mall and every ad in the mall is basically talking to him. You know, hey, John Anderton, you could use a Guinness right about now. <laughs> you know, and I, I think at the time, I, it's really amazing how much of that has actually come to be because it, at the time the movie came out in the 90s, it seemed just futuristic and impossible. But basically in the, in the scene, they're using retina scanners to determine who somebody is and then it's matching up with data and basically dynamically generating creative based on what they know about this person. And in reality, we're really coming pretty close to that kind of a, a world where there's sort of a utopian view of delivering the right message to the right person at the right time that's been part of marketing. And I get really excited about that to some degree. But then when you see what's happening in the world of IoT and smart speakers, we're suddenly, we actually were moving into a world where you don't have to go to a shopping mall to experience that John Anderson moment. You could potentially, through technology, experience it just sitting in your own living room. <laughs> and I took my cartoon to a dystopian side of that, where this guy's just sitting there and, and surrounded by all of these Internet of Things devices <laughs> trying to sell him things. And he's very anxiety written all from all these devices chirping at him. And then one of them is saying, you know, you have anxiety? Try Xanax. <laughs> and so I think, you know, I find humor in that type of a dystopian view of where we could be headed in order to, I think, get to a place where I think I really hope we head, which is where all of this technology that is becoming available can ultimately be used for brands to serve true utility to the people that we're trying to reach. And I try to use my cartoons as a bit of a wake-up call that sometimes I think we get so excited about the, the tactic or the technology or the technique, we forget about what it could actually feel like to the actual human on the other side of that. So my hope for the future of marketing is that we get to the other side, which is thinking about how can brands provide true utility to the audiences that, that we're trying to reach and to serve and use some of this technology at our disposal to reach an outcome that is ultimately better for the people that we're trying to reach. But I think that the road to get there is going to be bumpy. And I hope as a cartoonist to be making fun of <laughs> some of the twists and turns along the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. I hope we get there as well, where it really is serving that true utility to people that we're trying to serve. But Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. Great talking with you. Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at Atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, 
art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.